What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And this week, I sit down with one of my best friends, my brothers, David Beavis. It's actually because of David that we are as good of friends as we are. You know, he's one of those kinds of annoying people that are naturally great friends. They kind of ask you intentional questions and remembers most of the little things you tell them. And checks in on you consistently and supports your dreams and fights for justice and equity and whatnot. Yeah, he's one of those kind of annoyingly good friends. And, and, and the reason why I say it is because, you know, I, I look at myself and I like to think that I'm a good friend. And then I look at David and it's annoying. Anyways, it's for these reasons and many more as to why I chose David as one of my best men at my wedding, you know, and pretty soon after that, it was really sucky to see him and his wife, uh, Laura, move up to Portland. David and I talk about his dream of becoming a pastor, what it means for him to be a white man in America now, and given all that has happened with equity and justice in the year 2020, I ask if his approach to his job has changed and his, he shares his hopes of what the church should engage in in this pivotal moment in history. This episode was recorded pre-election, so if things sound a little bit out of date, it's because they are. All right, y'all, here's David. Like, when did you know that you wanted to do ministry for the rest of your life? Like, you like that that, that was your calling, that you wanted to be Yeah. So, it's kind of, it's funny. My family is a, a it's kind of a part of the our family history. My um, my dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. My mom's dad was a pastor. You know, my mom's brother is a pastor. Um, and, you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. And my uh, my father church planted, pastored this church um, for eight years and, and completely burned out. And he burned out my junior year of high school and... Um, stepped down from being a pastor and then pursued um, it kind of entered this like season of reimagining what his calling is what his great greatest contribution to the world is all that mm-hmm. um, so he entered that season at that time I would start to you know my faith went from like I'm a pastor's kid I just you know um, do what I want whatever to like oh I actually want to follow Jesus because that's you know that's where I want to that's what I want my life to be about. Um, that was my junior year. And then senior year, I got to a point where I was like, oh, man, I, I don't even know what pastors do. But there's this desire for me to be a pastor and to, you know, talk with people about their journey with, with God and help teach the Bible and all that. Like, that fascinates me. Um, and so that was my senior year. And I told my dad. And my dad was um, like, man, I... Poor timing on my part, you know, to tell him when he was like just months before stepped down because he burned out. Mm. But yeah, so I think like my senior year of high school, so that would have been um, 11 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And that's when that like idea popped into my mind. And I felt like that's that's where I want to... um, you know, per, that's why I want to pursue. That's why I want to do with my life. I feel like that's what I, what I feel like could be my greatest contribution in, in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. 
that's where I've been pursuing after for the past 11 years. Is that is it susceptible to change? Oh yeah, it's it could change tomorrow. Yeah, but it hasn't yet. So yeah, sweet. Um, so I think we had a conversation about diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion in the church, and what, and in light of the murders of. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, mm-hmm. um, Breonna Taylor, and so many others in the past few months have mm-hmm. kind of like pushed for um, more yeah. from specifically from white people yeah. in regards to race um, in the U.S. How has that impacted you? You mm-hmm. know, like how has that impacted the way that you approach ministry? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, uh, uh, you and I have been friends for you know, years. Mm. And, um, because of that friendship, I've been able to like learn things that I was oblivious to, uh, you know, um, and that was, you know, hugely helpful and, um, incredibly important. And now, uh, I think there's always for the past, um, so I think I started, Working in a local church setting starting in 2014, um, and around like uh, 2015, I just felt this like almost like a disconnect or like a no 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 a discontent mm-hmm. with how um, the predominantly white evangelical church has done in this, mm-hmm. and um, and it's yeah it's, it, it can be incredible incredibly discouraging the lack of uh willingness to lean into the conversation of diversity equity racial justice and you know a lack of like you know um yeah a lack of willingness to lean in because when we start leaning in then the conversation changes to like oh who's actually in power mm-hmm. and when that conversation happens then you're those in power have you know have to do a lot of like soul searching and realizing we may need to be shifting power a little bit if we're going to be serious about this. Yeah. And now it's easier uh, for me to like, you know, be a low level ministry position and and talking about that than just simply like being in that, like, you know, you're the lead pastor and everything. Yeah. Um, It's easier for me to like say that where I'm at, but I think, you know, just the, the daily choices of like, leaning in and mm-hmm. choosing to, you know, uh, give up power, choosing to raise up voices that aren't, you know, like yours, uh, that is critical in, in the process. I'm sorry, that's a really long answer to your no, question. but I mean, like, it's but not. Let's, it's a, it's yeah. a tough one, um, and we should yeah, wrestle with that one. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think it's a, there is a, if you answered that short shortly, I would have yeah. been concerned. But I think the, um, the it is a hard uh, question to answer, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, there's so much to that. I think the reason why I asked that question is because, you know, um, you are a white male and, and, uh, and somebody, I mean, you say lowly, I mean, you're one of the pastors there (laughs) at the church. So I think, um, you do have a lot of sway and influence on like the next generation of, of folks. I think, I think the reason why I have stepped away from the church and Mm. even being in, you know, not only attending, but like I used to be in like, yeah different forms of like leadership is yeah. because like when it came to these things of like assessing power and mm-hmm. addressing like systemic change within like church walls, like there was no sense of urgency yeah, and there was a lack of, oh gosh, 
I don't know even what the word would be, because um, the willingness was there. Was it like a lack of it's awareness? Just, not even. Or, no. It, 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 no, it was just like there is a lack of urgency and a lack of like not willingness. There's a hesitancy. Mm. And like there is like this thing that just yeah. wouldn't just would not like there like I couldn't convey like why we need to do this now. Yeah. No, I could convey it. It's just like it just there was no buy in into yeah. that part. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and like it just gets old. And mm-hmm. I and I think for a long time I tried to play the game. Yeah. Okay, y'all. So I'm essentially talking about code switching here. And for many black folks or any person of color really, even if you've never heard the phrase code switch, you likely know what this is. So what is code switching? Well, with the linguistic term, linguistic definition, broadly code switching is understood to involve an adjustment of speech, appearance, behavior, and expression in ways that will optimize the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment, quality service, and employment opportunities. Otherwise known as your white person voice. But the burden was yeah. always on your shoulders. Exactly. Like it, it. The the interesting thing about like playing that game, right, is that when, when a a black person or um, a brown person or any person of color plays that game, mm-hmm. they're not. What you'll find is like they're they. You think that you're able to get in, get a seat at the table, and then you're going to be able to make change. But in any like systemic change, any like. Mm-hmm leadership change and now i'm getting into my organizational yeah. psychologist now but like if you if you try and make a change like that's not how change happens like yeah. change happens from the leadership saying yes and then those those changes they they come because yeah. that person is willing to like spearhead and, and invest and provide yeah. resources the only person that benefited from like you'll see with the a black person brown person a person of color when you get and play the game and try and do all those things you'll learn a person that's benefiting from that yeah. so you, you 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 try and make all these changes and make suggestions and push for change and like people are like oh you don't care about that stuff and it's like mm. actually no i've always cared about this stuff like then you have to give all this context and everything like that mm. so i try to play that game didn't work then i try and like speak truth to power just like we need to make that that doesn't work so mm-hmm. I, I think that it's it's just exhausting. Yeah. You just do that for a long time and it's it's so tiring. And yeah. I think that the American church, the white evangelical church, yeah. I'll say, I'm just going to be very specific here, yeah. is that I don't think that it is set up or built or designed mm. um, to do the necessary work in order to inflict yeah. the, the right systemic change in America. Yeah. Like I don't think that we need to completely dismantle it. But mm. the thing is, is that there are people that are in power, they've been in power for a long time, that have voices in American society um, that continue to influence change. Yeah. Um, or continue to influence a lot of people that just don't want to give up power yeah. and don't want to change. Yeah. Um, and don't want to learn from other people. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes it nearly impossible. So as long yeah. as those people are still in charge and saying ridiculous things. Um, the white evangelical church will not change. Yeah, and that's 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 not even based off of my opinion. That's mm. like in any organizational leadership literature, like mm-hmm. organizational change literature that you'll read. Like that's just based off of fact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so and you know, for you then, um, I mean, it makes sense. Like yeah. having to, you're like swimming upstream in an insane current that was going against this the uh what you're swimming yeah and so for for you then like 
your relationship, is it specifically your relationship with white evangelical church where you're like, I, I just, you know, I got to remove myself or is it like the church in general or even like if we could go there, where are you at with like, you know, Jesus and mm. God and, or have you had to completely like reimagine what that even is or, mm. yeah. No, that's a great question. I think, I think to a certain extent, every person that goes to a Christian higher education institution, so a Christian college, goes through some level of um, deconstruction of their yeah. faith, of their beliefs, of what they grew up for the first like 18, 19, 20 years or whatever. So when you go through like that four years of Christian higher education, you learn about other things. Other people have different kind of like faith systems, beliefs or whatever. Kind of you're all like not tethered. I don't want to say tethered, but kind of tethered to like the general idea of Christianity. Right. Yeah. Um, And you go through that and a lot of things change. You learn different things. And then I think in particular what happens to black and brown folks, people of color that go to Christian higher education systems is that you confront white supremacy in such a blatant way um Mm. that you never have before um that it that it forces you to rethink everything so either you're going to continue to drink that kool-aid and drink it more than you ever have before Mm -hmm. or you're like something doesn't taste right about this anymore and so you kind of like deconstruct after and Mm -hmm. i think this happens to white folks too but i think in particular um black people and um, persons of color so you do that and so that's what I went through the first like two years, right? And I, yeah. I thought that I had like this general idea of like what my faith consisted of. Then 2015, 2016 happens. Donald Trump yeah. emerges onto the scene. One, redefines what it means to be a Republican. So that's one. Yeah. And then two, the evangelical right, I'm going to say the white mm-hmm. evangelical right, backs him wholeheartedly and makes up all these excuses as to yeah. why they are supporting him and say that this is God's man and everything like that. Mm-hmm. When that dude... I don't know when, if ever, he stepped into a church. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like those things. So like that also forced me to reconcile my faith again, especially after being in leadership, church yeah. leadership, and um, navigating that at the same time. So like, to be honest, like I, if you would have asked me two years ago, I probably would have told you like white evangelical, um, that mm-hmm. I'm reconciling my faith again. But I'm like really unrooting all kinds of stuff mm. that I like it literally yeah. felt like I've been lied to for since I mean I became a Christian when I was 16 yeah. so I think right now I would define myself more so spiritual that I have mm-hmm. a that I have a faith belief um or a faith system yeah um but I think that it consists of more than just like Christianity mm. um like as I read other things and like hear other faith systems I'm like yeah, like that that aligns with my values. That aligns with what I believe yeah. in the world, what I believe about people. Um, yeah. And that and makes sense. You even said like in a recent, I, I think it was the, uh, was it with uh, when you were interviewing your in-laws, you said um, 2016, the church broke your heart. Yeah. And uh, you have been in friendship with atheists and agnostics who are far more loving of their neighbor mm-hmm. and far more committed to the process of racial justice. Uh, and that's shaken you know, so much of, of what you, you believe, right? Yeah. Would no. you say? Yeah. No, 100%. And I think I was, after I graduated from Vanguard, I realized like I was in some like bubble because I didn't know what was happening outside of yeah. my school. And mm-hmm. so like I purposely like went and wanted to work at 
non-faith related places i wanted to work with people that like did not like i I wouldn't be able to tell where they were like i wanted to work in other areas and surround myself with people that believed all kinds of different things and so like that was opened my eyes too of like you know like people generally people are really want the best for other folks yeah they just want to live their life and live the best life that they possibly can and they want to live a peaceful life with joy and all these different things and really truly want the best for others i think what I have discovered, and I've talked about this in pre- previous podcasts, is that the idea of loving people um, mm. from a evangelical standpoint is I love you by like telling you that my faith system is the only faith system that you need mm. to believe in, that this is the, the most important thing, and that if you don't believe it, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Essentially, like the underlying like thing is like, what is wrong with you if you don't believe this? If you don't believe this, like you could go to hell. You got to believe this. Mm. And if you don't believe this, like there's something wrong with you. We, yeah. we, and we've seen that kind of like people who have expressed like all kinds of stuff and, and have, have gone away, quote unquote, from mainstream Christianity, how they are treated. Like we've seen it with William Matthews. Mm. We've seen it with, um, what's the other dude's name? Gunger. Oh, Michael, Michael Gunger. Gunger. Yeah. We've seen it with him. Like there's so many things, so many people that we've seen it with that they've yeah. moved away from like what this mainstream christianity is and then like literally people say that they've lost their faith and like they've never said that that, that's what happened they're Mm -hmm. just exploring like what their faith means to them and what it means in this world and so like that's where i'm at right now yeah um i would not be able to tell you if i would ever step foot in a a church i i mean i've been asked this question multiple times on different podcasts i i cannot i've gone back and forth Mm -hmm. lens asked me yesterday like would you go to a uh a church that was led by because i was listening to a podcast by Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. She's oh, she's phenomenal. Brilliant. Yeah. She's absolutely brilliant. And I was like, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> that, yeah. you know. So um, it's a lot, man. It yeah. is a it is a lot, and I think I think I'm still trying to reconcile that. Yeah. But if you're if ultimately if you're asking me like, do I have faith and in, in belief in, in in what the white evangelical church is right now? I gotta be honest, I don't. Yeah. Like I, I I just don't. Yeah. I I really don't. Like I am not uber optimistic about mm-hmm. it. Um, I've been saying this for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've just started saying this. White's gonna white, like, mm-hmm. and and that's 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 how it works because I think allyship is really difficult. Yeah. Um, allyship is is hard. It's sacrificial. Yeah. And as soon as people, white people, not only recognize racism but like realize like, oh shoot, I have to like give up stuff. Mm. Like you said earlier, like I have to give up stuff. Yeah. Nah, man, I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't come out with words it comes yeah. out with their actions like yeah. you start become silent on stuff you start you know slowly taking back power you mm-hmm. slowly start doing this you slowly start to try and control um what uh these other voices are saying so yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean i'm just like glad that you're on this journey of of uprooting and uh honestly looking at so much and um you know there's a uh, so there's this um, book by C.S. Lewis I recently read um, called A Grief Observed. Mm-hmm. And um, so C.S. Lewis is like, you know, well-known uh, Christian apologist, you know, defender of the faith. He wrote a book uh, 20 years before that called The Problem of Pain. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, 20 years later, he loses his wife and he... Um, you know, he loses his wife to a battle with cancer. 
Um, and A Grief Observed is like, it's a short book, four chapters. Mm. And he is based, it's like a, like journal entries for him of like him wrestling with God. And so here's the man who, you know, wrote the uh, like defense of the Christian faith 20 years prior. And then in the first chapter of A Grief Observed, he says, you know, something along the lines of like, when you go to God in your pain, you what do you find? You find a closed door. Mm. The windows are like shut. The door is like bolted. Mm. Um, and for all you know, the house is empty. Yeah. You know, he says that. And, and I'm like reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the man who uh, wrote um, The Problem of Pain 20 years ago. Oh mm. my goodness. The final chapter, he says this and, uh, you know, bring this to what you're talking about. He says, um, you know, he's starting to, you know, reconcile, you know, God and all that. And he says, um, you know, maybe, uh, um, a proof of the presence of God mm. is your images of God are being crushed, mm. are being uprooted, destroyed. Mm. Your, he says it's, uh, iconoclast, you know, it's, it's the breaking of images. He, he was like, you know. If you think about the Messiah, you know, they were predicting the Messiah and what, and they had like an image of what they thought the Messiah would be. And Jesus comes in and destroys the image of what, you know, the Messiah was to be for them. And so I think like, you know, my own faith journey, and I'm hearing this in you too. It's like, you're on this journey of, uh, what you think about God, um, gets broken down, gets destroyed. Mm. And that might actually be the presence of God drawing near. At least this is what I've been thinking about over the past few days since reading it. Maybe that's the presence of God coming near and saying, you know, uh, yeah, this, um, your image of God, uh, your, your understanding of, of God, uh, it needs to be broken down. It needed to be shattered. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly. I think, mm. What I've, I mean, I've equated this, but it's like a, it's like a bad breakup. Not me and my faith, but me and like what I believed the church to be. Like it was yeah. bad it's, of the expectation of what it was. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's just been messy. And it's, I think with any like grief, because that's what like yeah. that feeling is after like a, a breakup, any breakup. But like, it's like this grief that I'm still like processing through. And some days it's like, I'm cool. But other mm-hmm. days it's like, it really does suck. It's really hard. And I don't know what's next after this. Like, yeah. what do I do after this? You know? Um, but yeah, it's all of those things. I am curious. So for you, you're a white male. What does mm-hmm. that mean to you in America? Yeah. Um, man, you said these were going to be easy questions. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, yeah. So that's a great question. So as a white man in America, I. Uh, you know, it's, it was kind of like this weird, it, it's this journey of you, um, uh, I, I grew up loving, um, the movie, remember the Titans, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, um, awesome Christian house and, uh, I, you know, was very much like the classic average, like, yeah, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Remember the Titans is my favorite movie of all time. You know, um, Hey, that's the yeah. benchmark of not yeah, being racist. That's my, I am not racist. Um, 
and and legitimately like is um you know if if the baseline of racism is like you're not a part of the KKK you're uh, you know uh, not proud of uh, not part of any white supremacist organization and you don't hate black people then I was like okay cool I'm good um, but then uh, and I think every white person needs to go through this you go from that level and it's kind of like you know um, uh, it's kind of like you go on YouTube and you you know you have a bad day at work and you're like I suck at life let me watch you know let me look up Dr. Phil and watch, you know, videos of people who are way worse than me. Yeah. You know, then I'll feel better about myself. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, no, that's not the standard that you should be aiming for. Mm-hmm. So as a white man, you got you to gotta recognize um, the standard of, oh, I, I don't hate black people. You know, mm-hmm. I am. Therefore, I'm not racist. Um, oh, I have a black friend. I'm not racist. Mm. Okay, cool. Congrats. You reached level zero. Um, (laughs) You're at ground zero for not being an idiot. Um, Now let's take it up a notch. Let's let's uh, take it a layer deeper and recognize, hey, racism isn't like this. Oh, do you hate black people? No. Okay, good. Then, no, it's a system, Mm. and you have benefited off of this system. And now you have, it's, it's almost like this, um, disorienting, you were once blind now you see, and you see things like, oh, this is, there's this system at work in our country that benefits people like me and disadvantages people like you. Mm-hmm. What do I do with that? Yeah. How, and do I, do I check out or do I lean in? Mm-hmm. And if you check out, you can, you know, just live your life and, you know, live your life as if you'd never seen this new reality. Yeah. Or you lean in, lean into the discomfort, and have to, you know, you you have to lean into this discomfort and do what you you know is right. Mm-hmm. Um, which means, you know, uh, giving up power, disadvantaging yourself for the advantaging of others. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, coming alongside others. Uh, not as a savior, but as an ally. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you said, like, if your bar is, like, if your bar of what it means to be racist is, like, I'm not I'm not a white supremacist, I'm not part of the KKK, and I, what was it, I, I like... <laughs> I like Remember the Titans. <laughs> yeah, or, I like Remember yeah. the Titans, or I listen to hip-hop or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, I feel like that's, yeah, ex- you're exactly right. Like, that's a really low bar um, mm-hmm. of, not being, of not being racist. Because not everybody when slavery was a thing, like, had slaves. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, they still... They probably... I mean, I would imagine they didn't just run around saying the N-word. All the, well, they probably did. Who am I mm-hmm. kidding? But the, the fact of the matter is, is, like, you know, there is a level of treatment to black bodies. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a level of treatment that happens, and it's not always explicit in mm-hmm. nature, even though that's been the thing that's happened in the last four years. There's a lot of things that happen implicitly. Like, there could yeah. be a... A system that you know it's supposed to be um, distributed equally, yeah. Um, but that's obviously not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, criminal justice is is the yeah. number one thing that I always go back to. Out of two million people in our jails and prisons in any given moment, two million, a good portion of that, about forty percent of those people, thirty to forty percent, are black or brown people. Like mm-hmm. that's incredibly high, yeah. For um, especially given that. Um, 
13% of our population are black. Yeah. Like this, the proportions of that are completely off. Yeah. So you, you know, just look at those numbers and then you, I mean, that just says system right there. Yeah. When you look at the disproportionate numbers. Yo, so correction here. I combined two statistics regarding the incarceration rates of black and brown folks, um, specifically adults. So that's all these numbers are going to reflect. Based on the stats from an article updated in April 2019, the Pew Research Group found that the black population accounted for around 33% of the incarcerated, while only making up 13% of the U.S. population. The Latinx community, by comparison, accounted for around 23% of the incarcerated, while making up only 16% of the U.S. population. So, the total population as of April 2019 of the incarcerated black and brown folks is the 33% of black adults in the U.S. and 23% of brown adults in the U.S. And that accounts for 56, almost 57%, while only making up 29% of the U.S. adult population. And the thing is, is like you could easily say, somebody could look at those and be like, oh, well, just like, man, black people just need to figure it out. It's like, actually, no, because like, let's dive in a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Or psychologists here. That's how I, that's what I do. So we look at the, the numbers and we look at like, let's just pin somebody up who has generally like 90% of the same circumstances. You know, they've gone to jail uh, before, you know, um, they committed the same crime, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, a white male will get less prison time or a lighter sentence compared to a black or brown person yeah. you know what i'm saying like those kind of statistics are just like you you just can't escape those like yeah. it's just it happens over and over again so yeah. um that just speaks to to that a whole lot yeah. you know so so for you what does it mean to be a black man in america that's i will speak yeah i'll speak for myself i think i'm still trying to learn how to answer that question um mm. to be honest i think I think I know um, that I'm told what I'm supposed to be all the time or there's like this expectation of me, right? Like I don't have the freedom to just, I'll say this, I don't have, I'll say it this way. I don't have the freedom to just be whatever I want, but I do have the freedom to just be whatever I want. Yeah. But the emotional labor that it takes to get, for me at least, to get to like being okay with like just being myself, it's a lot um, because of the things that I have to the mental barriers that I have to overcome. Yeah. I think that is specific in Orange County. Hmm. Um, but I'll say in like the profession, the professional world too, I think that I am expected to be lighthearted or this chill guy or whatever, not get angry yeah. um, because then I'm just like, Oh, well, what are these? Calm down fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, um, yeah, I just think of so many circumstances where I almost, um, I played in like this softball league or basketball league and I just almost lost my shit. And then like the faces of people mm. when I just want to argue a call, but mm-hmm. like I'll see other people just like call the ref, any kind of thing. And yeah. then like just absurd. And then like, um, or like if, if I do have like a grievance, like I have to keep, remain calm, like remain yeah. calm and be articulate use great words and like be able to communicate so effectively. Yeah. Like I have to be on my tip top shape when I'm yeah. like have a grievance or something like that. I can't just like lose it. And then moment. someone says, Oh, you're so articulate. Yeah. Which is like, okay, <laughs> which is the, a dog whistle. But um, yeah. <laughs> from the way I dress, like 
all these different things. There's so many expectations of me um, mm. that that it is like emotionally laborious to yeah. like be myself. Yeah. And I think in the last couple years that I've decided to be unapologetically black, be myself, yeah. uh, has been the most freeing. Like 2020 oh. has been like an incredible year for yeah. me. Like the year 2020. Hold on. That is stupid to say. The year, my 28th year of life on this planet has been mentally and emotionally great. Yeah. Like I, I think that I have felt the freest I've ever been, mm. um, most joy-filled that I've ever been, unapologetically myself that I have ever been. Yeah. And I think it, but that doesn't come at a, at an expense, right? Like, there's this dope new show on Hulu. It's called Woke. I highly recommend it. Mm. But that's what it feels like. This guy, he literally, literally is trying to toe the line. He's a black man, um, and he's like struck luck um, with his cartoon art. And he, he um, is mistaken for like this this thief or whatever, like um, pickpocket. These cops like pointed guns, like five cops, armed cops are like pointing these guns at him. He's like mm. put on the ground. Wow. He's like almost gets the shit kicked out of him. Like and people are recording it. Yeah. And his white friend is like, no, like this, like you got the wrong guy. And they're like, oh, this isn't him. And literally from then on, like he just keeps having these moments. And his his black friend says like, oh man, like you're woke now, like you can't unsee all the stuff that you've seen, and I think that's what's happened to me in yeah. like the last four years. Like I can't unsee all these things; it comes at yeah. an expense, and so I'm kind of I'm always constantly reconcile reconciling like, all right, is this actually me? Like, do I actually want this, or is like is this expected of me? And um and when those two things like line up, then like that's that's yeah. where I'm finding that money spot of like I am myself, which um, is interesting because. Uh, the the message that uh, kids um, receive from an early age is be yourself. Yeah. But, you know, for, for you, it's be yourself, but also navigate yourself in a white world. Yeah. It's like be yourself, but do this. Yeah. Be yourself, but do this. But be don't yourself, be too but. passionate. Yeah, yeah, don't be too passionate. Hey, you're being really loud. Yeah. Hey, man, <laughs> like you're doing this thing. Yo, your hair's funny. Like, there's these little things yeah. that people will say that, like, kind of trying to dictate how I should be because they have a box of what I should. And so, like, yeah. those little things kind of trying to place me in a lane. And whether they believe it or not, like, it just that they'll just say things like, yo, just ignore them. It's like, mm. those are really kind of hard to ignore when you hear them from, like, 10 to 15 people yeah. every single day. Or, like, you see it in news or shows or whatever. Like, you hear it from everywhere. So, yeah. I think a lot of, and, and now it's like, I'm married, both me and my wife have a master's degree. Like I'm in the middle class and like in a really good position, like yeah. socioeconomic position. But the but what the difference is what I had to do to get here mm-hmm. and what you had to do to get here. Yeah. It's like drastically different. Yeah. And even I could even say like what I had to do to get to where I'm at compared to somebody who came from my own similar life experiences, it still be drastically different. Yeah. Like I literally had to win the jackpot like so many things had to go right for me to Mm -hmm. for me to end up where i'm at i had to like mortgage my entire future bet on myself that all of these things were going to go right for me um in order to be where i'm at and like it's and like when i say that it's like oh no like you like you worked hard like this would happen to anybody it's like that's actually not true Mm because i know a lot of people that smarter than me that worked harder than me um that like had a ton more potential than i did and then a lot of things just worked for me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't take the that 
lightly, mm-hmm. you know? So that's what it's like for me. That's a long answer. But, I mean, what is your hope? I, I mean, we talked a lot about, we talked a lot about, you know, faith and Christianity and what you mm-hmm. do for work and your job and everything like that. What is your hope for the church, Big C? Yeah. Um, in this time? Yeah. Well, uh, so the, the big C church, uh, you know, I, yeah, we were chatting about this, uh, the other day. Um, I, I confess that I, at one point, um, around like the murder of George Floyd, I was wrestling internally with, is it even ethical for me to be, for me to want to be, uh, a pastor? Am I just going to be another white guy? taking a spot that should be given to a person of color. Mm. Is it even ethical for me to be a pastor? Mm. And I was wrestling with that. And, you know, and also I was wrestling with the church. Like, is the church just this institution that is perpetuating this system of racism? And, you know, and Jamar Tisby, you know, Color of Compromise, brilliant work that he's done has shown throughout history how the American church has been complicit in racism. Mm -hmm. So at some level, like, yeah, I'm, you know, part of the, the church that has, you know, perpetuated, um, perpetuated racism, Mm -hmm. but that's not the, the end of the story. If we just like look at the, um, singularly at the picture of what the church is and just zero in on white evangelical church, um, we are missing out on the beauty of so much of the church. Mm -hmm. What really helps me during that time of like questioning everything and really wrestling with so much about my, you know, relationship with the church and everything was a documentary of, of, uh, Emmanuel, uh, the, um, the church, uh, Emmanuel AMC, yeah. Sure. And I watched that documentary of, of the, of that church and how, uh, and how they rallied together and responded in the midst of a horrific, horrific murder of nine folks. And, you know, I, when I think of the church, my mind goes particularly towards like, you know, the, the uh, white megachurch pastors, mm-hmm. you know, um, and from watching that movie or yeah, that documentary, I was like, man, the church is so much bigger and so much more beautiful than we, um, uh, than just this narrow lasered in focus of mm-hmm. what the church is. The, these people um, are incredible, faithful followers of Jesus that I aspire to be like, yeah. you know, uh, when I see um, the congregation of Emmanuel AME, I think to myself, that's the church, and I'm proud to play a small role in the church, the Big C Church. Yeah. I think of, um, you know, the unsung heroes, the, um, you know, grandmothers who have prayed for their, uh, their grandchildren who spend hours in the early morning praying that go unseen. Man, that's the church, and that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and even how churches, so in, in my area of, of um, Beaverton, which is just west of Portland, there have been churches that have just rallied together mm-hmm. to put together like 
this food drives and yeah. distribute food boxes. And um, at our church, the um, a person who organized the distribution, the collecting and distribution of food boxes, uh, her name is Fabi, and she's from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. She is a hero of the faith who nice. goes unseen. Yeah, this is the church, and I'm proud of the church. So, all that to say, that it just sets me up for um, what gives me hope for the church is, and you know, Dr. Sunchan Ra, you know, he talks about this in the next evangelicalism, and he talks about how the next evangelicalism is not going to be predominantly the white Western individualistic church. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the um, it, it churches of, um, you know, the gatherings of folks from other countries. It's going to be um, multicultural churches. Mm-hmm. There's going to be this um, uh, redistribution of who is in power when it comes to the church. And that gets me excited. Yeah. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the day. Uh, when, um, yeah, when I get to, when when my mind when I think of the church, my mind doesn't go straight towards like you know just the who, who's the um, lineup of speakers at Catalyst. Yeah, know? no, that's really good. I think, um, well, as you were talking about like the initial thoughts I had as you said that I was like, oh, I need to give my position as you know, for a person of color to have it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's just what, that's white guilt. Yeah, uh exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I think it is uh, incredibly crucial to have people that understand, that are aware, that get what is going on in the systems that are at play Mm -hmm. in there, specifically white people in there to dismantle those systems and make changes. I think the reason why is because like, um, and I used to believe this for some odd reason, um, that like racism is the problem for black and brown people and persons of color to solve. Like that's yeah. our problem to solve. But like that's actually not true. Like yeah. everybody needs to have a seat at the table to fix this issue. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll say this about that: black people, brown people did not create um, racism in the first place. Like yeah. racism was created by white folks to exert power. Like mm-hmm. all race is always is all about power. And so when when um, we're talking about dismantling systems and changing and everything that you're hoping for, it also requires your presence yeah. there, you know, mm-hmm. um, to make those changes and, you know, um, learn from other people. And that's what I've appreciated about you is that you've put a lot of effort and mm. time in doing the work individually to understand your place yeah. in all of this. Um, and I think the optimistic side of me of what you mentioned about Sung Chun Ra, is that Sung Chun Ra, yeah. Sung Chun Ra. That, like, there is this optimistic and um, positive perspective of, like, what the church can be. Yeah. Um, but the efforts and work that it's going to take there, it's, it's going to take yeah. absolutely everybody. And an intentional effort, too. Yeah. So, I think, I hope the best. Um, yeah, of course. For the church. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to be part of it, yeah. but I really do truly hope the best for the church. Yeah. I, I don't want the it to like burn in flames or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I um, feel like some people believe that after yeah. listening to my podcast, but I, I really yeah. don't. <laughs> can, um, real quick, can I, I, can I put a plug for something? Absolutely, um, yeah. So uh, World Vision is putting together this, um, uh, it, it's it's an initiative for uh, church leaders and pastors to lean into the conversation on uh, racial justice. It's called May We Be One. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's basically a year-long learning cohort mm-hmm. 
led by Dr. Soon-Chan Ra, Dr. Ephraim Smith, um, and, uh, and um, Reverend Sandra Van Opstel, I think that's her last name, uh, Opstel. Uh, yeah, I might have um, uh, not, not pronounced her last name correctly, so I'm sorry, Reverend Sandra. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, um, these three leaders are incredible leaders who are really uh, just bringing in incredible content for uh, church leaders, uh, ministry leaders to lean into the conversation. Mm. So um, if any of your listeners um, have questions about that, uh, I mean, is there a way we could like put my email in there? And yeah, I can put I can put your um, email in the show notes. And yeah, then I'll also put the um, if you the send link. me like a link or whatever. Yeah, okay. It, actually, that might be better. I'll okay. just uh, send the the link. One hundred percent. Okay, so the May We Be One registration has passed. Uh, however, I put the website in the show notes for those wanting more information and to check out any future potential dates or resources. So check it out in the show notes for that. Dope. So. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, I love it. That sounds like a good note mm-hmm. to end on. Yeah. Bro, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Um, I love you, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I love you, my too. my best friends. Yeah. All right, G. Uh, well, thank you. So I'm I'm doing all of this editing stuff after, you know, after the election. Um, we've already had our conversation, you know, and to be quite frank, I, I, I saw the stats um, and statistics of white evangelicals still voting in overwhelming numbers um, for Trump. I saw the same people literally like on their knees in front of places and, and literally praying for justice, and counting all the votes for Donald Trump. And it's just like, what? the entire hell right so all of the that piece of why i walked away is like so prevalent in all of that but the thing is in this conversation re-listening to it hearing david's heart his hope for the church his desire to see equity and justice in these places like that's the thing that gives me hope you know like i don't subscribe to a lot of the things that my one of my best friends still subscribes to and my best friend aside from him being my best friend and being proximity to a black person like one of my best friends is like choosing to do this work and choosing to bring up equity and justice and how people are impacted and who's at the table and who's making decisions. Like he's choosing to even like learn from different voices. I mean, that's the thing that it gives me hope. And although we may not see, you know, this grand awakening that we believed would happen in 2020, specifically in the in the election, like him being present there, continuing to do it every single day, and even investing dollars into his own development and understanding of this, like that's the hope. And so if you're out there and you're like, man, this fucking sucks. I want you to know that there are people fighting, that there are people that are risking, that there are people that are investing in change and really wanting to see it happen, even in places where it doesn't seem like it ever will. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. And if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. would love to hear from y'all. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at RTWD Podcast. That's RTWD Podcast on Instagram. All right, y'all. Till next time. Peace.